I got a lot to say tonight. You probably figured, ah, he won't speak long, he won't say much. You don't know me very well if that's what you think. So I want to get right into it, try to get you out of here by 9 o'clock. So um, take your Bibles with me, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. And tonight I want to talk to you about overcoming worry. Overcoming worry. And uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. You can remain seated as I read. I'll begin reading at verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we have to gather around your word and and study and be encouraged and, and, and be edified by your spirit. We ask now that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me. And that all that would be said tonight would be in accordance with thy will and would be useful to your people. Thank you for this time now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, as I stand here, I've been in the ministry for 31 years, 9 months, 3 days, and 7 hours and 25 minutes. And in all that time, I've spent countless hours counseling believers. And without a doubt, I can say this evening that the most frequent subject matter is that of dealing with anxiety, dealing with worry and fear. No matter who you are, you will face these issues from time to time. This matter of worry and fear, however, is absolutely debilitating to a child of God. Worry and fear... Listen to me carefully. Worry and fear are thieves. Did you hear what I said? Worry and fear are thieves. They rob you. They rob you first of your joy. Your joy is is taken away by, by fear and worry. They rob you secondly of your peace. The peace of mind and the peace of heart. And, and, and the happiness and the joy are, are stolen from you by worry and fear. Uh, they steal, they rob you of your patience. People who, who fretful and worried are, are very impatient. They, they don't seem to possess the ability to be still and be calm and wait to see what the Lord will do. They, they rob from you your courage. Huh? You know, sometimes when you get really fearful and really worried, you you, you lose your courage. 
you sometimes sit and mope in the corner and, and feel like, I don't even have the courage to get up and go do anything. They'll rob you of your confidence. They'll, they'll take away from you that ability to, to face all the things you have to face, your confidence. And they'll rob you of your character. I've seen, I've seen worry and fear cause people to do things that I know they normally wouldn't do. They rob your character. Now, these are just some of the things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just some of the things that you sacrifice at the hand of worry and fear. And if you notice, they, in fact, are they which we call the fruit of the Spirit. These these things that that are listed, uh, by and large, are are the fruit of the Spirit. They're the things that the Holy Spirit gives us in our life. And though we may strive to attain this fruit of the Spirit, we cannot do so, so long as we live in fear and doubt. This anxiety that we feel only serves to drive us even deeper into despair. There's a definite downward spiral. I want you to notice the downward spiral of a man who falls prey to worry. First of all, succumbing to fear and worry will rob you of your faith. It's impossible to please God unless we have faith. And, and, and without, without uh, faith, we can't, we can't do anything pleasing or acceptable to the Lord. And succumbing to fear and worry, worry robs you of your faith. Your lack of faith, next, your lack of faith will take from you your joy. Then thirdly, the absence of joy will make you vulnerable to envy and strife. I've known some of the kindest people in the world become, become obnoxious, become angry, become upset because they're, they're worried and they're fretful over things and it's, 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 it's taken away their faith and it's robbed them of their joy and now they're angry and they're, they're upset. Once envy and strife take over your life, you're subject to bitterness. Become bitter. Become despondent. And, and, and you get to the point where you just don't care anymore. And bitterness, once you fall prey to bitterness, will drive you to resentment and even hatred. And this will effectively render you useless to God's work. And further... Who do you suppose is at the heart of all of this? Hmm? Who do you think is at the heart of all of this trouble? That's right, Satan. Satan is the one that seeks to to take away the heart of God's people. The spirit of this world, the Antichrist, desires to destroy all of God's children. It seeks to immobilize the church by striking at the heart of believers. You see, Satan is not an idiot. He knows that he will usually fail with a full frontal attack. You know, Satan isn't going to come to you, at least not at the beginning, he's not going to come to you and tempt you to drink liquor. Do that at the beginning. He won't. He won't come and tempt you to drink. He won't come and tempt you to do drugs. He won't come in a, at a full frontal and tempt you to to, to to look at pornography. And he won't come straight on and try to get you to 
to, to go rob a bank or, or anything like that. He won't do it from a frontal attack because he's not an idiot and he understands that you will resist that. So he attacks us in ways and in places where we are vulnerable. He attacks us from the sides. Now he uses methods that appeal to our minds and to our flesh. And these things are about us at every moment of every day. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, tell us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, that's the, that's the method in which he attacks us. By the way, those three things, which I'm going to talk just a little bit about in a moment, are the exact three ways in which Satan tempted Jesus. And we're not ignorant of these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 tells us, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan doesn't try anything new because he doesn't have to. Satan doesn't need to come up with new tactics to, to destroy God's people because the same old things work. And that's all he does. So we're not ignorant of his methods. Now the three things I just mentioned, the lust of the flesh, this is everything we want to do. And Satan will come to you and he'll tempt you with things you, you want to do. And he'll, he'll use those things to, 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 to gnaw away at you and to tempt you. And if you're not careful, you'll fall prey to the lust of the flesh. The second one is the lust of the eyes. And this is everything we want to have. You remember in the Garden of Eden that the Bible says that when Eve saw the fruit, that it was good for food, she wanted it. And this is what Satan does. If we're careless, you know, David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And, and, and when we're careless, and by the way, let me tell you something. And you may not like what I'm about to say, but I really don't care. Let me tell you something. There is very little good on television. Very little good. Because you might be watching a wonderful program. You know, I like the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. I like that. I like that movie. But I could be sitting there watching that movie, and what's going to come up? Huh? A commercial. I can't control what those commercials say and do. And, and sometimes some of those commercials are not very good. I like football. I love to watch football. But <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's, it's all beer and, 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 and all these things. Huh? I went to a football game a, a couple of years ago, and, and the people sitting next to me, was a, he was a season ticket holder. And while the game was going on, his, his binoculars were on his lap. And then between every play, he'd raise his binoculars. And I was kind of confused at that. His wife said, oh, he's looking at the cheerleaders. Why, you bring the binoculars to the game to look at the cheerleaders. And, and, I, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to, to, to sound like a prude. I'm just telling you that the devil uses our eyes. He, he lures us into traps. He, 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 he uses things that appeal to us. And you know, the mind is, a wonder, is an amazing thing. It actually, the things we allow into our mind, will, the mind will actually begin to create hungers within us. And if we're not careful, we create the wrong hungers. We're heading down a slippery slope. 
The lust of the eyes. This is everything we want to have. Thirdly, the pride of life. Pride of life. This is everything we want to be. And Satan tries to tempt us and he tries to bait us to believe that we deserve more and we, we should be more. And so we will deny our time and our energy and our efforts to the Lord because we want to fulfill the, the pride of life, everything we want to be. And by these attacks, he will wear us down and he will breach our defenses. And we will fall under the control of the flesh just as we were before our salvation. Once Satan can convince us, as he did Eve in the Garden of Eden, once he can bring us under the control of these lusts that we've described, then we are set up to fall under the control of worry and fear. But thankfully, we do not have to fall under the control of these things. And why do I say this? Because in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John tells us this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, the, 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 the one beautiful thing is this. Because we're children of God, God has empowered us to say a two-letter word. Anybody know what it is? No. Before we were saved, we had no control. We, couldn't, we could say no all we wanted, but the flesh, we had to obey the flesh. But now we obey the Spirit. And now we have the power just to say no. And that's all we have to do is say no. Most people say, well, I can't help but worry. After all, I'm only human. Well, Christians have been hiding behind the excuse of only being human far too long. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, we read, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, I'm not only human anymore. I used to be only human. Before I was saved, I was only human, and I only had a human nature. But I'm not only human anymore. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a joint heir with Christ, and I no longer am controlled by my flesh. We foolishly attempt to justify the sin in our life by saying, I'm only human. But it is very clear from Paul's statement that we are no longer under the control of these things. We are now the children of light. And in fact, whereas it was once the normal thing for us to worry, now it's abnormal for God's children to worry and fear. So armed with these truths, this, by the way, this is just the introduction. So we're about to get into the, into the message. So armed with these truths, with the time I have left tonight, allow me to share three thoughts with you. Now don't get excited because I said three thoughts because I've been known to preach six weeks on three thoughts. So don't get excited. Uh, three things that we can do to overcome fear and worry. And, and listen, I'm not picking on you tonight if you, if you are a person who's prone to worry and fear. Uh, this, is, this is probably the most prevalent problem people have in the world. But as God's children, we are armed, we are empowered to, to, to get past that. And I want to share with you tonight what you can do when worry comes. Number one, we overcome through prayer. When worry comes, we can overcome through prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, 
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, notice the words that Paul used here. Uh, If you notice in verse number 6, he said, be careful for nothing. In other words, he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't, Don't worry. And don't fret for anything. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, by, by, by pleading unto God to strengthen us and help our weaknesses. In the Bible, in the scriptures, we had an occasion when uh, one man cried out to Jesus and said, uh, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Listen, we're all prone to, to, every human alive is prone to be attacked by worry. And without the strength and, and without the help of the Lord, we will succumb to that worry. So, so Paul said, don't worry about anything. Uh, ask God for the help you need. With thanksgiving, he says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Not, not with sorrow and not with self-pity, but with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that, that you've given me to, 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 to trust in you and, and, to, and to walk with you. And then he says, but the peace of, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, strengthen you and protect you. So why do we worry? Given these kinds of scriptures to turn to, why do we worry? Why do we fail to trust in God? Well, there, there, there are numerous reasons, but one of the biggest reasons that Christians are succumb to worry is because we fail to maintain a close relationship with God. We fail to maintain a close relationship with the Lord. We fail to fellowship with him on a consistent basis. We are too consumed with the cares of this world. Huh? Am I wrong? Things such as money, consume us, popularity, uh, enjoyment. These things consume us. We, we put our own desires and our own expectations ahead of God's. And what's the result of this? We become distanced from God. It'll cause us to forget about God. And this leads to a lack of understanding and a lack of knowledge. And this is the time that the world and the flesh begin to work on our hearts and minds. You know, when you're, when you're focused on God, when, you, when, when you're in church and you're focused on, on, on God, you're focused on his word, most of the time you won't experience too much apprehension, too much anxiety, too much worry or fear. But when, but when we're busy in our day, and it doesn't even have to be busy with bad things. But when we get to the point where we become consumed by everything around us and what's happening, we forget about God, and our hearts and minds become vulnerable to the, to the world and the flesh. It is then that we hear the questions in our minds. Yea, hath God said? Isn't that the question the devil asked Eve in the Garden of Eden? Yea, hath God said? Questions whispered from Satan. Questions like, do you think that God really cares about you? Do you think God is really concerned with your needs? Who, who do you think you are? God, God's a busy man. 
Do you think he really cares about you? Questions like, do you think that you can put your family at such risk? Do you think you can really afford to tithe? Do you think that it really matters? Does it really matter if you're not in church? Hmm? Does it really matter? The preacher's going to preach the same message, whether you're there or not. Eh, They're going to sing the same songs. I can't afford to tithe anyway, so why bother going? And, of course, one of the biggest questions that Satan likes to ask is this. Do you think that God will really send people to hell? Isn't he a loving, merciful God? Do you think he'll really send people to hell? A close personal walk with God will give you knowledge of God and his word. It will give you understanding. You will know and understand all of the principles of Scripture. Further, as long as you're close to God, guess who won't be hanging around you? Draw near to God, and, and the devil will flee from you. He'll go away from you. He doesn't want to be near God. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God. So by maintaining a close personal walk with God, we guarantee ourselves that the flesh and the devil will be under control. Paul made it very clear in his letter to the church at Philippi. The verse we read earlier, four, verse four, verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Is that still up there? Yeah, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, we can't possibly understand all there is about God, but his peace shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, let me paraphrase that for you, if you will. Did I put that up there? Next screen. Yes, here it is. Don't worry about anything, but in all these things, pray and seek God's help and be thankful for the opportunity to bring your concerns to God. And by this, God will grant his peace unto you, and he will strengthen and protect your heart and mind because of and in the name of Jesus Christ. There's your your armament against worry. This is a wonderful promise from God. The promise that if you are faithful to trust in him and depend upon his help, that he will give you peace from your worries. And he will give you the strength to endure. Sounds easy, right? And guess what? It is. Nothing difficult about it. The problem is that too many believers wait until the ship is sinking to pray. Prayer should not be the last resort when we're dealing with problems and troubles. It should be the port from which all that we do is launched. We shouldn't shouldn't do anything without going to God in prayer. Bathe your entire life in prayer, and you will find that worry and fear do not dwell in your neighborhood. So we overcome worry and fear, first of all tonight, through prayer. Secondly, number two, We overcome through service. We overcome through service. I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Psalm 73, please. Let's all together turn to Psalm 73. Allow me to read it. You just listen 
as I read Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish. Remember I told you that worry will eventually, you'll, down, you'll spiral down and you'll end up in a state of envy and, 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 and bitterness. Uh, he says, for I was envious at the foolishness when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and, and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And here we see, uh, if you notice in, the, in verses 2 and 3, we see the jealousy the jealousy of Asaph. He said, I was envious of them. And this jealousy led to his dissatisfaction and his, his doubt in God, as, as we read in verses 11 through 15. He said, I, he said I, I've washed my hands in vanity, in vain. I've, 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 I've tried to live a, a holy and, and righteous life for, for no, to no avail. These people live like they want to live, and, and, and they prosper, and, and they're doing great. What a terrible state of mind for a child of God to exist. To be envious of the wicked and, and to be brought into such despair. But then I want you to notice with me the restoration of his faith and his strength. Look at verse number 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Tell me, what was, what was it that helped Asaph to overcome his worry and fear? Hmm? What was it? Not prayer. Verse 17, yes. He says, until I went to the house of God, to the sanctuary of God. It's when he returned to the Lord. He was, he, was, he, was, he was fraught with, with envy and jealousy, and he was, he was fraught with, with, with anger and bitterness. But when he returned to God, it all went away. In God's sanctuary, he found truth being taught. In God's sanctuary, he worshipped the Lord. In God's sanctuary, he found purpose in, for his life, an opportunity to serve. Now, please listen to me. Worry and fear lead to depression. And depression leads to seclusion. What do depressed people do mostly? 
Hmm? Anybody know? Yeah. Depressed people are always sleeping. Why? Because they're just, they're as low as you can get. They've lost all their courage. They've lost all their spirit. They, they, they go into seclusion. Worry and fear will cause you to climb into a shell. You will distance yourself from the people of God. You know, when people who worry and fear all the time, they don't want to be around Christian people. You know why? Because Christian people are, are, are hopefully upbeat and happy and, and joyous, and they don't want to be around that because they're depressed. You know? Leave me alone. I want to, I want to pout. So it, it'll cause you to distance yourself from the people of God. You, you will distance yourself from the Word of God. People who go into depression, they don't even read the Bible because they're so depressed. Even the Bible can't help them. You will withdraw yourself from the very things that will help you to overcome your worry and fear. Obviously, Asaph was away from the sanctuary of God. This is why his focus was on people and things of the earth instead of being fixed on God and his kingdom. But God's solution to that is found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Probably most of you know this verse by heart. But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Have you ever heard the old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop? How many of you have heard that saying before? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Well, we used to hear it all the time when I was a kid. I guess they don't say it much anymore. Now, that is not a Bible quote. I've had people say, that's in the Bible. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. It's in the Bible. No, it isn't. It's not a Bible quote. Don't waste your time looking because you won't find it. It's not in the Bible. However, it is definitely true. So get rid of idle hands. Get rid of idle hands and get busy and start serving the Lord. Occupy your minds serving, honoring, and glorifying God. And you will find that God will give you the peace he promised. And your worry and fear will disappear. There are so many things that need to be done here at Berean. And God has given the talents to do these things to you, the members of this church. Yet, these things go undone. Let me say, it's high time that we stop focusing. As, as Berean Baptist Church members, it's high time we stop focusing on building our own little kingdoms and start focusing on furthering the work of the kingdom of God through this local church. We need people to serve as witnesses for Christ. We need people to go out visiting. Go out, go out talk to people. Go out and hand out tracts and go out and, and, and spread this, the word in this community. You know, there's, I don't know, what is there, 45,000 people in Rona Park? 50,000 people maybe in Rona Park? Statistically, a church should have at least 1% of its population. That would mean that theoretically on Sunday morning we should have about 500 people here at Berean. We're, we're away from that, aren't we? Huh? We need people to get out there and start witnessing for Christ. We need people to commit tonight, to commit to reaching the young adults. I'm talking 19 to 24, the young adults in our area. We have Sonoma State right over here. How many students are in Sonoma State? Anybody know? I don't know. 1,500, 3,000, probably more than that, huh? I think they've... They probably have 10, 15,000. Uh, we have one of the best bi uh, junior colleges in the world in Santa Rosa. 
A lot of students there. I can't hardly, I can't hardly help believe it, but believe that we can get 20 or 30 young people from Sonoma State to come every Sunday to church if somebody was, was, was willing to work with them and, and work for them. We need, we need a college and career ministry in this church. We need, we need somebody. Uh, we, we had one years ago, and, 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 but we need someone that will go after those, those young people. We need people to commit to reaching the Hispanic people. In our, how many Hispanic people live here? Quite a few. And we need people that, that, that say, you know what? We need, we need to have a Sunday school ministry for Hispanics, and, and they need the gospel. They need, they need to be set free from the, from the false teaching of, of the Roman church, and they need to hear the truth and the gospel, and they need to hear real doctrine. Huh? What about that? Uh, we need people to commit to reaching the Asian people. And I, I knew that I'd get a smile out of you, Richie. There's a lot of Asian people here, too. And, and, and we need somebody that has compassion for them and says, you know what, I'm going to start a Sunday school class, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get these people to come here and preach the word to them and, and see them saved and see them grow. We need people to commit to living pure and holy lives. We need people who will stand and say, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. We need people who will, who will eschew evil as Job did. We need people who will live righteous on purpose. Who will say, I will not do anything that will, that will harm the name of my God. That will, that will harm the reputation and the testimony of, of, of God. You know, I've been, I've been a Christian for right at 32 years. And I'm not perfect. And I've made mistakes. But I'm going to tell you something. Those of you who know me well know that I try to live my life in such a way that God will be honored and glorified by everything I do. Now, I'm not perfect, and I've failed. And if you don't believe me, just go talk to my wife. She'll give you the whole list. But we need people who will commit to saying, no, I'm going to live a holy and righteous life, a pure life. I'm going I'm I'm to abstain from things on purpose. Not because I have to, but because I choose to. We need that. Every person in this church should have a job to do for the Lord. Our motto here is every member a minister, every saint a servant. But is it true? Do we really believe this? Well, if we do, we need to get busy. Do you have a job in the church? If you don't have a job in this church, guess what? Speak with the pastor when he comes back and tell him, I want a job. I want something. I don't, I don't care if it's come in here on Sunday morning and straighten out the pews, if it's come on Saturday and blow the leaves out of the, out of the, the parking lot. Whatever it may be, no task is too small. No task is too menial. I want a job in my church. So we overcome worry and fear through prayer. We overcome worry and fear through service to God. Then, lastly, we overcome through rejoicing. We overcome through rejoicing. You know, people who live with anxiety, worry, and fear, they, they usually aren't very happy people. I said that earlier. We need to just learn to rejoice. There's a song, and I preached an entire message once entitled Rejoice in the Lord. And the song goes like this. God never moves. 
without purpose or plan, when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seem long. In darkness he giveth a song. What is the first thing that we usually do when worry and fear grip us? Usually we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We seek sympathy and, and we long for someone to say, there, there, it'll be okay. And this stems from the idea that we somehow think we deserve better. I've heard Christians say to me, I'm doing my best to live for the Lord, which is not really true because all of us could do better. I'm doing my best to live for the Lord, and this is the thanks that I get. Hmm? Now, this prompts me to think of Job. As far as we can see from the scripture, Job didn't do anything to deserve the trial that he endured. However, in all of Job's suffering and despair, I don't find any doubt, any worry, any fear, or any resentment in him. In fact, do you remember what Job said? In Job chapter 1, in verses 20 and 22, after they announced to him the death of his children and the thieves came through and stole all his cows and his fields burned down, what did he say? Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job said not, nor charged God foolishly. After God allowed the devil to afflict Job, Job was sitting on the ash heap with broken pieces of pottery, scraping the boils on his arms and, and on his body to relieve the pain. His wife came to him and said, you maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But what was Job's response? In Job chapter 13 and verse 15, we hear Job say, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. In other words, Job said, I will not, I will not lose my trust and hope and faith in God. No matter what. When worry and fear creep into your life, remember, in Psalm 30, in verses 4 and 5, we read, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I'm reminded of the words of some of the great songwriters. We read, or, or we sing, uh, God will take care of you. Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. We sing another song in our, in our services regularly. It's, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways I cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, God will make a way. God will make a way. Sometimes the things of our life, the things we're facing, the things that we're going through, sometimes in our human mind we say, this is, I, I, this is horrible and it's terrible. But you know what? God is always good. God is always good. Some, I, someone was going through some troubles one time and, and all of a sudden they, they got something unexpected and they told me, God is so good. And I told him, I said, let me tell you something. God was good even when he didn't give you that. God was good before he blessed you. 
God's goodness doesn't depend on how blessed you are. God's good, goodness doesn't depend on how, how, how prosperous you are. God is good. He was good to the, to the beggar sitting at the rich man's gate. God is good at all times. And, and we need to understand that if, if it's God's will that we suffer, then let us suffer with joy and let us suffer with, with faith. Get your mind out of the world. Stop thinking like the world thinks. If I have, a, if I have one slice of bread to eat today, praise God. It's, that, that's, that's God's will for me, then so be it. Learn to trust God. God loves you. You're his child. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He gives you what you need, and he gives you what's good for you. He will not give you what will, not, what will harm you. Trust him. Know that whatever you face today is his will. And he will, he will take you through. I have, a, I have a, a, a little thing in my office that was given to me by, by a good friend, and it's a sailboat. And on the sail, it's, it, it's, there's some etching. And the etching says, God's will will never take you where his grace cannot keep you. Are we his children? Would you do something harmful to Christian? Huh? Would you do something harmful to Dylan? Would, would my daughter do something harmful? Would you do something harmful to your children? Sometimes you do things that they need, need have done, right? Sometimes you discipline. Sometimes you withhold things from them. Sometimes you, you, you spank them. My daddy used to warn me about things, and if I persisted, he would stand back and say, okay, go ahead. He wouldn't let me do something that would hurt me, but he certainly let me do things that taught me a lesson. God will make a way. Tonight, are you facing worry and fear? Maybe there is some uncertainty about your health tonight. Maybe you've lost your job and You're worried about your family's well-being. Maybe you have a wayward child tonight in in your home. Perhaps you are struggling in your marriage. Maybe you are battling your flesh tonight, and you can't seem to get the victory. Maybe you are troubled over the loss of a loved one or the failing health of a family member. Maybe you are older, and you're just tired of the burdens you face each day in this dark and wicked world. Maybe you are facing financial concerns and you're not sure what is going to happen down the road. One of my favorite songs. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry over the future, for I know what Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him. For he knows, he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against 
that day. So what shall I say in conclusion to offer cheer to your heart? I have no words to say, but God does. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and we'll be done. Now I cheated. I put a bookmark there so I can get there quick because I knew I'd be past 8 o'clock when I got here. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I want everybody to read together with me verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't offer you any words of comfort, but God can. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about a thing. We are in the hands of God. If, God if, it, if it be God's will that we prosper, then we'll prosper. If it be God's will that we suffer, then we suffer. No man can do anything to me that God does not say, okay. So what do I have to worry about? What do I have to f- fear about? I don't think little Christian here. I don't think he's going to go home tonight and wring his hands and worry and fret. Oh, man, what's going to happen tomorrow? What are we going to do? He doesn't do that. Why? Why didn't he do that? Huh? Because he trusts his daddy. He believes that his daddy is going to give him everything he needs. And he believes that his daddy will expend every ounce of energy he's got in his life to make sure he has everything he needs. Oh, ye of little faith. Are you not God's child? Do you believe you're a better parent than God? So what do we have to worry about? So we may not be as prosperous as the person next door. We may not drive a big fancy automobile. We may not live in a a mansion. But we are the children of God. We are in his hands. So when worry and fear comes, overcome through prayer. Overcome through service. 
and overcome through rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. For we know that no matter what may befall us in this life, we are safe in your hands. And we know that man and and the world may be able to kill our body but cannot touch our soul. And we have the confidence and the the faith to know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we have nothing to worry about. Nothing. For you will never leave us nor forsake us. And you will provide all that we need. What we need to do, Father, is seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to do so. Thank you for this evening. I pray that the message would be of a help to your people. And we leave this place with with thanksgiving and with praise. And we ask that you would bring us safely to our homes and help us, Father, to be a witness and testimony for you in our lives. Thank you for this now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, folks.